I do think that if parents, not to beat a dead horse, but if they became more informed and not everybody, but more often than not, they made decisions that way, the colleges would be forced to change the way they're pricing. The following is a conversation with Peg Keough. She's the founder of Way to the Quad, and you might struggle to find somebody that knows more about the college pricing landscape than Peg. She's Ivy League educated, she has a finance background, and she's helped hundreds, if not thousands of families pay less for college. This is the Better You Podcast. My name is Michael McKelvey. To support this podcast, please subscribe. And now, my conversation with Peg Keough. So Peg, you went to Cornell. In a typical conversation, how quickly do you let people know that? Uh, I do. I do not wear that on my sleeve at all. It's just not. It's not a thing that I even. I rarely share. Actually, it's not deliberately not sharing. It's just. It's part of who I am, but it's not who I am, basically. Yeah, yeah. I'm just thinking of Andy from The Office. Yeah, I don't know if I you've know. seen it. Yes, but <laughs> I've seen it. I've seen it. <laughs> it, it, it. On a more serious note, uh, you did go to Cornell for your undergrad. And I think you had a pretty cool experience in that you got to go to this obviously prestigious grade school. You also went to the state school for your post-grad work, Indiana. If you could... What differences did you notice between those two? And what are your thoughts on school rankings, such as the likes of the publications from U.S. News? Right. So as far as my experience, I mean, Cornell, it was pretty cutthroat. And I'm not going to totally date myself and say when I graduated, but it was a while ago, right? <laughs> so yeah, it was pretty cutthroat back then. So I can't imagine that's gotten any better. I mean, people were definitely smart. Um, Cornell was interesting just because there's a state school and a private school component. So I think it's got a slightly different environment than Harvard and Princeton, which is all private, um, which I think really meshed with me much better. But as far as comparing IU and Cornell, um, you know, grad school's a completely different animal, right? As a grad student, um, I was in a school that was relatively small and in the middle of a big, obviously very large flagship state school. Um, it was still, it was still pretty intense. Um, but like I said, grad school is just different, right? It's, yeah. it's, it, you know, you don't really get a C in grad school. That's like an F and nobody gets C. So a little bit different environment. Um, Cornell is, is not a small school. So just very, very different experiences, but Cornell is definitely, and I say that to parents when I'm meeting with them, you know, it's all about the academic and personal and financial fit. You know, financial fit is my sweet spot, but I always tell them all three are important and you got to be really sure your child is ready for that level. I mean, I was a happy-go-lucky high school kid, to be totally honest, and I, yeah. I do share this all the time. Yeah. My parents, I grew up in Jersey, so four hours from Cornell, and when I said I wanted to apply there, my parents were like, all right, that's fine, but we're not taking you there, because you're not gonna get in, right? right? And I was just like, whatever, I'll try, and you know, then I got in, and then they're like, all right, we'll take you up there, and then I went, right? So I wasn't a shoo-in by any means, right? Um, but I was just a happy-go-lucky kid, so I showed up, and I was like, wow. These people are smart. I got to up my game. But kids nowadays, unfortunately, are pretty stressed out, right? With just normal high school. 
and they have a lot going on, even pre-COVID, right? COVID's brought on a whole nother level. Um, So I think parents just need to keep that in mind that, and this kind of ties into what you're talking about with rankings, you got to find a good academic and personal fit where your child's going to thrive and rankings are fine, but that has nothing to do with being a good personal fit and maybe not even academic, right? Like the U.S. News and World Report, it's really important to look at the rubric that the, you know, Forbes and Money and U.S. News, what they're using and and U.S. News, I mean, 40% of that ranking is them asking other people provosts about each other, right? right? That's not really a factor that I think most students or parents really think is is significant, but that's a big part of that ranking. And so unfortunately, I'll have people come to me and I can look at their list and I know the answer, but I ask it anyways, like, how how did you come up with these schools? And that's always the answer. We looked at rankings right. and what are the quote unquote best schools? And really the best school is a school where the child's going to thrive. And I did this for both of my kids. My son went to IU. I knew he would love it. I had been there for grad school. And my daughter went to James Madison in Virginia. And they got into a lot of other schools. And one could argue some of them were more prestigious. But they went to the one that was the best fit for them across the board and had great experiences. Yeah. So I want to go back to maybe because we'll get into their experience. I think that's important. Uh, Your experience the differences maybe that you did see between an IU and a Cornell, I think, you know, from the outside, people would just assume like that there's truly a different academic transformative experience you maybe get at a Cornell because it's this Ivy League prestigious school in comparison to maybe a state school. And I think in addition to that, uh, a lot of people probably see the average student being different at those two universities. So could you maybe just I guess, comment on what your experience, did you see any of that yourself? And again, I don't know if this is the case. I just think that might be the perception for a lot of people from the outside viewing, you know, a public school versus an elite school like Cornell. Yeah. I mean, for sure. When at Cornell, people were smart. Were there some people that I came across over those four years that I didn't think were super smart? Of course. Right. Um, Even though supposedly you're getting the creme de la creme. Right. So, so that's going to happen when I actually taught at IU as a grad student. So I taught a course that had freshmen and sophomores in it through the College of Education. And so I got to interact with these kids and they were serious, diligent, smart kids. I think even at a Cornell, you're going to find kids that are partiers, that are not taking it seriously. Even if they're smart, they're not going to really get anywhere. I guess you could say at a state school, you might find that more. But was the, uh, I guess what I'm kind of curious about, maybe a lot of people are curious about too, is they're looking, you mentioned people look to these ranking systems. Was the experience as a student, do you think there's much of a difference? Let's say you're a business major at Cornell versus a business major at University of Indiana. The transformative experience you maybe get from those two, essentially the product that you're purchasing for college, and again, I know that comparison might be a stretch, but 
Was there any difference that you really noticed between those two? Or do you think there's much of a difference just in your time doing this? Yeah. And your questions, like I'm thinking of my son, because that's more comparing me at Cornell and then him as an undergrad. Yeah, yeah. And, and honestly, not and I'm not saying anything bad about Wharton, but if you look at rankings, the Kelly School of Business at IU, when he was there, Bloomberg does a ranking of business schools, graduate and undergraduate. And Wharton was actually 10 and Kelly was four. Kelly was amazing. Soup. I mean, you walked into that placement office, me as a parent assessing where he should go, and they handed you a slick quarterly report of where the kids went. So just because it's a state school doesn't mean anything, right? Yeah. It's it it's really the faculty. That's why I really tell parents all the time, don't get caught up in this because yeah. You to. could, it's very easy to, and even my daughter would get postcards, right? The minute you take the PSAT, you're flooded with marketing material as a student. And she'd say, well, this school sends me all these postcards. They must be desperate. It's like they're big business, nonprofits, but they're big business and they're marketing machines. So it's really focusing on the best fit and not not the ranking, not the prestige, really. But that's so difficult. It is. It is. It is. You know, you think about, uh, you know, rankings are really a way to kind of sort through this complex world that we live in, right? They're a shortcut of sorts. The problem is anybody can create any ranking system. And there's a the, lot of them. Yeah, as they please. And so um, it's difficult when you're viewing that as the reality, as even if you might look at it and say, I know this isn't the reality, it's kind of ingrained over time. It's difficult to look at that and remember, okay, this is largely driven by reputation of the school. As you mentioned, you know, 40%, I think you said uh, in some way, but uh, you know, US News reputation plays a huge role in that ranking, which means it's perception and there's conflicting perceptions, certainly about college in general. So how could we ever have an agreed upon reality there, right? And I think that's, it's difficult to remember. I get these messages from students, I'm sure you've gotten them too, where it's like, hey, I got this full ride here or partial scholarship here, but this school's ranked higher. I know it's 50,000 more a year, but will I have better opportunities on the other side by going to this school? And so, I mean, that to me shows that we are very much attached to this ranking system, whether it's BuzzFeed or US News, what are your thoughts on that when you're working with parents, when they come to you and they ask these questions, hey, you know, this school versus this school, I guess, how much do you give credence to that ranking over the dollar that they might spend to get a little bit less, a little bit more value, right? If they choose, let's say a little bit less experience. It seems like parents maybe, or kids feel like they're making a sacrifice if they do choose that value school. I guess, how do you navigate that with them? Well, part of it is if I know the child at all, the student, I'll look at that because some kids you can look and say, yeah, I, I, this might not be a great fit for your kid. I'm not a counselor, so I never really go there. Getting that route. Okay. But if I meet the child, um, you can get a sense, right? So, so that's part of it. Um, it's just, and I, and I say this all the time, you know, the school doesn't make 
the student, doesn't make the future. And I'll talk about Zuckerberg and Gates. Like they dropped out. They didn't need Harvard to go where they were going to go. Harvard attracts that kind of kid. And if that kid went to Western Washington University in my neck of the woods, that kid's going to do the same thing because that's what's in that kid. Harvard just finds them really effectively. And then, of course, Harvard, it's great. It's you know, it's yeah. And it's it's kind of this self-fulfilling prophecy and people keep believing it. And I think to the beginning of your question, this is kind of on the parents, not the student, because they've been around the block. When you do these visits, like you need to get in that placement office. You need to ask questions. Your kids need to sit in on a class and go talk to that prof. Right. And if the prof blows their socks off and is willing to sit down with you for 30 minutes, if it's X, Y, Z school that isn't high in the rankings, that could be the best place for that your kid. Yeah. yeah. And maybe getting out and having Harvard on your resume or Cornell or whatever, that's not, it's a great thing, right? But that's only going to take you so far. When you're 10 years out, it's about who you are and what you've done and how you show up. It's not about the school. And and I don't know if you've read the book, um, Frank Bruni or Brunei, I don't know how he says his last name about where you go, I don't remember the exact title, but the, the whole first half of the book, the premise is, hey, look at all these CEOs that didn't go to the they Ivies, right? The which it's like, school. okay, I get it. But yeah. the second half, which was fascinating, was about he taught at Princeton for a while and he had a class and only 15 kids could be in it. So kids had to actually write an essay to say why they wanted to be in there. And he said, I got these essays that just blew me away. So I picked 15 of them. They get in the class. And he said, it was so apparent to me that it all they, that once they were in the class, it was like, all right, I got in the class. That's all I care about. It was more, what's the next thing I should be doing? Not what's, what's my passion? How do I want to impact the world? And I'm not saying that's every kid at these schools, but parents need to be careful of that, that you're not, it's not a choreographed, like, What's the best place? Oh, and then you have to get a job at McKinsey for consulting because that's a name. You, you, you know what I'm saying, right? There's, it's, a pro- there's a progression there where it feels like uh, it's more a matter of uh, just checking a box and continually checking the next box and moving along versus, uh, you know, how is this going to transform me in the best way possible for the future that I want? Uh, I think there's a difference there where it's maybe some students view it as more of a prerequisite versus, hey, I really feel like this will be what's best for me in the long run. This will transform me. So it's interesting. Um, I want to transition here and talk a little bit more about what you do now. So you founded Way to the Quad. Uh, You obviously work with College Aid Pro uh, exclusively now from what I understand. But you know more about the college pricing system. In a lot of ways, the college landscape, that sliver of it, more than just about anyone from the content I've seen, which uh, I think separates you and kind of gives you a different lens. I'm just curious how you made that transition from the financial world to founding, you know, really this, this college planning service of sorts. How did you go about that? How did that transition occur? I noticed that most of my friends and my colleagues, they were just kind of drifting, listening to what their sister told them to do or their neighbor when they're mowing the lawn. And people were making five-figure mistakes. They weren't around this whole financial piece. And so I just, I really had this aha moment where I thought, you know what? I can couple this this late-stage college planning, this in-depth college financial planning with 
overall financial planning because it's part of a financial plan yeah. and impact families even more. So I you know, resigned from my position, still kept a, a relationship, but really focused on that and just really educating parents around this because I, I, I tell them all the time, if you're an informed consumer, you're in a position of power. You're in a position to make good decisions because most of the time parents are reactive. Like, like I'll tell you a story. You know, I had a mom call me three years ago and she said, oh, my son got into XYZ school, his dream school, cost 60, they gave me 20, which gave him 20,000 a year. But I, how do I pay 40,000? I need to come in, peg and pay you, you need to help me. Yeah. Well, right at that point, not a magician, right? Yeah. And she's reacting to that university. And I keep telling parents, you don't have to be in that situation. You really, really don't. The media doesn't tell you this. The media doesn't know this. So that's why they're not telling you. It's not a deliberate thing. And it's frustrating. It's frustrating to hear the politicians and the media build up this frenzy so parents and students are so stressed out about it, which just makes it worse because they're showing up really freaked out and then they don't understand the system and they don't take the time to understand it. So that's really how I got there. Um, it was when I decided, I was kind of like, you know what, that things happen in life for a reason. And I was just, just hit me like, this is what I should do. This'll, this'll be really much, even more impactful for families. Yeah. I think a chance to, you know, serve, uh, really two audiences from what it sounds like, you know, not just, you know, the parents that you were probably serving primarily before you probably weren't working with many 17 year olds building their financial plans. Uh, but also the kids and certainly an underserved community in regards to just general college planning. And there is that perception that exists out there, speaking of perceptions, uh, that the sticker price that you see is the media certainly uh, amplifies here is this crazy, outrageous price. And, you know, you're just not really going to have an opportunity to pay for this efficiently. And, um, it's just not the case. I mean, there's just so many ways to combat that price tag. And uh, the problem is, as you've seen, and maybe been in classrooms, I know I've been here, where you get to that college night and there's 150 parents there and, you know, 130 of them, you know, they're doing the best they can as a parent, but now they're just starting to really pull this thing together, maybe junior year. They have a little bit of money in 529, but uh, they're really just starting to pull it together and they're reacting in a form, as you mentioned. But was there anything that was surprising as you've gone into working with families like, hey, you know, we realized we could find more money in this way than I I would have expected or anything like that? It's what was surprising the more and more I learned was that these schools we've been talking about, these more selective schools, the way that they decide how much endowment money and if you have need is dramatically different from the lion's share of the schools. It's not transparent. Each school really does it in their own way. And so that was, I mean, I thought to myself, well, of course parents are are shocked and can't 
make heads or tails out of it, right? Because it's crazy, just even around like home equity and how that's looked at. And and so that was surprising to me, but also kind of exciting, right? Because it was like every time new things happen, like the FAFSA Simplification Act, I'm like, you know, this is another opportunity for parents to take hold and figure out what it means and then figure out what cards they can play. What I do Sometimes it's kind of psychology, right? It's a little bit of parenting, and sometimes it really is psychology because it, this that's the other thing that's so fascinating about this, and it's a little different than saving for retirement because it's your kids. You know, there's nothing more special to parents than their kids, right? And so you got your kids involved, and you got money and the relationship, so it's kind of this perfect storm of emotions, as I'm sure you know, Kids have mental health issues much more than they did 20 years ago. So it just, it's all wrapped into this crazy system that we have. So any little bit that I can help uh, just clarify and get parents more informed and bring the kids in and, and show the kids some of these realities. I find that kids, when you show a 17, 18 year old, hey, this is the reality of this school versus this school. I've had kids time and again will come in and say, I want to go here. And at the end, when I show them and they say, you know what, I'm going to have some of that 529 from grandpa left. And I think I want to go to med school or grad school. They're like, you know what, I'm thinking I'm going to do that. And I think part of it is I'm a third party. I'm not mom and dad. But also they see it and we shouldn't underestimate kids. And and we're also modeling like prudent financial decision making. And I'm sure that resonates with you being a, a financial professional. Like that's that's awesome. Right. The more we can get people financially literate, the better. Yeah. And, and kind of setting that tone. And, you know, unfortunately, so much of that tone is set, you know, by the parents. And not everybody has, you know, really the greatest gift you can have is a, a set of two good parents that are setting that tone for you. And that's not always the case. Um, so, you know, as you're working with these families, then, you know, you're, you're obviously looking for opportunities to cut the cost of college. Um, but, you know, recently we've seen a pretty big shift here. The Biden administration forgiving student debt. And it looks like this is going to happen. I know there's uh, some pushback, but it looks like, you know, this is going to happen. It's set in motion. Do you see this as a step in the right direction or potentially uh, maybe a Band-Aid that, that won't really be in the best interests of, let's just say, the American public? Yeah, I, the latter. I see it as a Band-Aid on a gaping wound. And I also, I, I see it as not fixing the problem. And I also see it as people might have an expectation that this is going to continue. I've had parents ask me, well, should I consider loans? Because they might be forgiven like four months ago, you know, before this was ever signed. And my answer was always no, that's not, you know, loans can be part of your funding strategy, you know, responsible debt can be part of your strategy, but it's for the people, I mean, for the people that are going to get $20,000 and they're Pell Grant eligible, I think it's great, honestly, because that might that might clear their debt or it might really change the trajectory of their life. Um, yeah. I don't know that I'm really on board with you make 120,000 single or 250,000 joint and you really need that. I don't know that you really need that. And I'm 
I'm not, I'm a big supporter, but not enabler with my kids, with my clients. And it's like, if you made your bed, lie in it, right? If you took out those loans, knowing what you were doing as a parent, why should the taxpayer be paying for that, right? And, And again, back to what we're talking about being financially literate, it, it doesn't really help with that. What really helps is understanding how the system works ahead of time, and it's completely avoidable. Or I've had families through the years that are like, you know what, Peg, we're choosing XYZ school. We know that we don't have enough money, so this is going to be our strategy. And I'm like, okay, I did my job. You're doing this with your eyes wide open. Sometimes I'm like, it's not a good decision, but at least they're doing it knowing what they're deciding. But a lot of parents, as this price has gone up, a lot more parents are just like, this is ridiculous. You know, we're not going to pay 85000 a year. It's just, it's not worth it. And then with inflation times four years, most people, they just can't even fathom doing that for one child, let alone having two or three kids. So... Yeah, you do have an edu- more educated consumer in that way. And you've seen a huge fall off with two-year institutions, you know, is a lot of kids, I think, are probably looking at the labor market and saying, well, I can just go get this job. You know, what's the point in getting an associate's degree if I can get the job I want right now for it? Like, why would I take the time and money to do that? But there's really two major misunderstandings that I've seen with this student loan forgiveness fallout. Um, The first is some folks seem to be more upset with the recipient than the policy itself. And I think that's just a waste of intellectual fuel. We all benefit personally at some point in time more from some economic policy or some piece of the economic system than somebody else. So it's okay to be upset with the policy, but we shouldn't make this as personal as some folks maybe are making it. The second is one bad policy should not be the reasoning behind the next new policy. And you kind of see that a little bit with the PPP. Otherwise, we're just playing a tennis match for the rest of time, saying, well, because this happened, we got to do this, rather than just looking forward. And that detracts and really distracts from the one common understanding we have, which is there's some change we need here for the college planning landscape. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I I do think that if parents, not to beat a dead horse, but if they became more informed, and not everybody, but more often than not, they made decisions that way, the colleges would be forced to change the way they're pricing. You know, these these schools are nonprofits, but they're big businesses. And they, I know a head of financial aid and admissions at a school down in Texas, and she said, if I had to do it again, I would have gotten an MBA instead of a master's in counseling. It's all about yields and numbers and algorithms and projections. It's right. it's really big business, right? And they will adjust. Full We've pays. seen it. We saw yeah. inflation. Inflation was, you know, certainly prevalent everywhere in college. The price tag did not keep pace with inflation these last couple of years. Yeah. There's something to that. Yep. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So it can change, but the consumer has to change their behavior. And and I'm not seeing that yet. I'm, I'm seeing, you know, this has been something that's been what gets me out of bed for the last decade plus. Right. And I have some days where I'm like, we're getting there. And then I have other days where I'm like, oh, I feel like I took a step back, you know, with parents. And and I don't have I don't have an answer that they all have to do a certain thing. It's just more to be informed. It's more to be informed and make those decisions. But to what we were talking about at the beginning, I'll still hear that comment of, 
well, if he gets into XYZ, we're just going to quote unquote, make it happen, which means we're going to go into a lot of debt. We're going to, we're going to leverage our retirement. And the worst thing about that is they're doing it to their child too. So that kid gets out of college and starts a job and can't really move out of the house because they can't get an apartment with their buddies because they can't afford the rent, right? So that changes their life and their impact. Forget about the impact on the GDP because they can't buy a car and they can't, you know, they can't do all these things, right? That, that 20 years ago, people got out of college and did. So it, it, it really has a lot of repercussions. Uh, I can remember just as I was graduating, it was really starting to hit home this transition to the labor market. And I was talking to my girlfriend at the time and I said, God, you know, it kind of sucks. Can you imagine graduating right now and having one of these degrees you just wouldn't be able to do much with? And she's like, what do you mean? And I said, you know, like a, a sociology degree, like, God, it'd be like almost worthless at this point. Like, it just would suck. And she said, Michael, I'm a sociology major. <laughs> oh, <Uh-oh>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, she handled it pretty well. I mean, I should have known. I've been dating her for like a month. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, that's your bad on yeah, that one. <laughs> but but you know, it was more from a place of sympathy where it was like, you know, so many people were just realizing that there are no sociology factories that you can go work for, and you know, I, I it brings me back to this big question of how much of that is you know really the system promising this American dream with a degree in hand and how much of that is personal choice and, you know, really like what percentage, what's the makeup of that? You know, who shares the the bulk of that responsibility? Because a lot of people are falling into this trap, but at the same time, you know, there is some responsibility with this. What do you think on that? I don't think this promise there's no promises in life and you don't deserve anything. When I was raising my kids, I'm like, life isn't fair. Get over it. And you don't deserve things. You earn things. And sometimes you're going to bust your butt and you are not going to get where you want. That's fine. Pick yourself up. Like I used to tell my kids all the time, Abraham Lincoln, how many times did he run for office? He never won political office until the presidency. And they, after a while, like, mom, Stop talking about Abraham Lincoln. But my point was, you just, you keep pushing. And in this country, there is a bit of this entitlement. You know, I go to college, which you're so lucky to be able to do that and fortunate. And you can work hard in college. You can also play. I'm not saying you can't play hard and work hard. But that's you figuring out your next stage. And you're talking about being a sociology major. Like before COVID, I used to tour colleges a lot with a lot of the counselors, right? And I was blown away at these liberal arts colleges because these kids would have a resume with six amazing experiences, working with a professor, getting some cool internship after their freshman year, which would never happen at a big university, right? Um, And so when they graduated, they had a great resume, plus all these experiences, they were like, I didn't really like that. So now I'm going to tweak and go over here. So when they finished, they kind of knew what they wanted to do, because let's face it, when you're 17, you know, these kids, they don't know what they want to study. And I'm like, that's okay. You're 17 or 18. What I studied in college is not what I'm doing now. And that's, if you line up 10 adults, at least five of them would tell you that, right? So it's, but you, but you just don't go to school. Just like I'm saying, drift through the college financing. You don't just drift through your undergrad. I mean, have fun, but really 
you're trying to figure out what your next chapter after undergrad's going to be. You shouldn't that, wander aimlessly. No, you shouldn't. This. And parents should be instilling that. You know, I told my kids, like, this is an awesome four years and it's going to fly by, so make the most of it. Do things outside of the classroom. Like, my son didn't get into the honors college. And I was actually happy because that allowed him to do microfinance and other things because he wasn't totally focused. He could work hard, have a good GPA, but also do other things to figure out what what he wanted to do, how he wanted to impact the world, you know? And I think, not to push back too much on that, but I think you're right. How much of that, again, though, is the system not having that conversation, right? Because not everybody has a, you know, a set of grid two parents. And unfortunately, you know, what goes beyond that, if you maybe aren't having those conversations at home, well, the next place you're probably having those conversations is in high school, at another school, inside another academic structure, which maybe doesn't have the clearest lens of life beyond the structure because they're still within the structure, right? And so that's one thing I've, I've, I've reflected a lot on and, you know, how much this onus, this ownership should also be there you know, for our, let's just say high school institutions to have these conversations more frequently with kids of what the ramifications are of certain majors, you know, the payout, the income you might receive on the other side, how to approach life on the other side of high school, right? Almost a, a life one-on-one course of sorts that shares this topic of responsibility that you're going to have to inherit because I'm with you that, Yes, everything you're saying is correct. Unfortunately, I just don't know if that's communicated to 17 and 16-year-olds. And after going back to a lot of high schools and doing literacy courses, I think we forget where we were at at 16 and 17, how we looked out at the world. We maybe had great fluid intelligence, but our crystallized intelligence wasn't there. We just didn't have experience. Right, right. So it's just something I've I've thought a lot about because you're exactly right. Um, But yeah, I mean, what ways do you see potential solves for that, I guess? What would you do to combat that? What would you advise for high schools? Because you work with a lot of high schools and obviously you've done college nights. What would you advise? Um, Your point is really well taken about I grew up with that, right? It was ingrained in me. And the school didn't do it. My parents did, but not everybody, no slam on any parents, you know, home lives were different. Everybody's different. Everybody's coming from a different place. When it comes to the high school level, um, it's, that's hard too, right? Because they have a certain role and pushing any kind of agenda is not really like, you know, I'm not a counselor. I've never been right. a counselor in a high school, really but I know they, they're kind of walking that fine line, right? Line so, to walk. plus, you know, my kids are product of public school. I was a product of public school, and they have a huge caseload, right? Their their charge is like not to sit down, to one right, ratio, right, right, and yeah. that's just the reality. So, when my kids were going through it, I, I never had an assumption that the counselor was really going to be working one on one with them. It was like. That's our job. And to your point, some kids, they might not get it at home. So that's hard. And if the parents didn't go to college in their defense, they don't have anywhere to pull from to to help their kids, it's right? A feedback loop. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, uh, you know, at private schools, it's a little different. Smaller private schools, you're paying 35, 40,000. 
you should be getting some of that handholding and and some of the stuff that we're talking about. But if you're at a private school, then, you know, you're fortunate in a way that a lot of people are not, you know, so it, it, it becomes a, you know, an equity issue too, which is a whole nother can of worms. Yeah. Yeah. Which we don't have to go down, you know, at this point in time, but you know, it is something that uh, if there's a hope for, you know, the work that I've done at least personally, and also just our group does, you know, with high schools, it's that. Uh, if there isn't that soundboard, that voice that's maybe speaking to these 16, 17, 18 year olds about the responsibility and the weight of this decision that is about to enter the group chat, um, hopefully we're echoing that weight and we're talking about it and bringing some new thoughts. So, um, what I, I did have another question, kind of more on the college savings, paying for college front. What's one of the misconceptions that you see there? Working with parents, working with students, what's one of the misconceptions that you maybe see that parents or students have as they're entering into this college planning phase, maybe their junior, senior year? Um, the biggest one is. I don't need to do any of this. I make too much money. I'm not going to get any help. And usually they've gotten that information from friends and family. And I tell them, love your friends and family, but do not listen to your friends and family in this process. Because are you asking your friend, well, how much non-retirement assets do you have? What's your income? You're not asking all those questions, but you're taking advice from them. And, and that becomes a really big problem. People don't they, then they make decisions and sometimes they're leaving money on the table that's not based on their finances, right? They just, I always say, parents know what they know, they know what they don't know, and they don't know what they don't know. They just, they're, they're and, and it's not a slam on parents. As we no. said at the beginning, this is very complicated. And if I had a buck for every time somebody said, Peg, I didn't know somebody like you existed to get right. this help. And I always think to myself, what am I doing wrong that people <laughs> yeah. don't know about this? That's yeah. probably on me, right? Yeah. Um, because there are people out there to help with this. They know there's counselors to work with their child and help with essays and all of that. But I think they kind of think they have to lone wolf it and they don't, they don't, they don't know that there's professionals out there and they don't know not they get their taxes done by somebody. They go to an attorney. They don't necessarily do their will online. Right. right. But this is the same thing. Like, well, it's, it's a much smaller industry. I think there's a reason for that, too. The financial sphere where I come from looks at college planning and says we can't make any money on that. These are all state run plans. Why would we be spending our time helping people if there's no economic means? We're in the financial business. And the only people that really do it, like myself, is if it's a gateway to, you know, say a planning fee to where you can justify it. Otherwise, how are you running a business, right? right, right. And so I think that's a big part of it. Um, but yeah, I, that's a big one. Folks not knowing, uh, you know, really just assuming that because they make too much money, their EFC is too high, their student aid index is too high, they don't qualify for federal financial aid, that this is just kind of a waste of time other than maybe putting some money in a 529. It is fascinating how much more opportunity there is out there to really cut this cost. Oh, yeah. And also work with the student behaviorally so they can find ways to maybe contribute and cut this cost on their end, right? Um, so there's, that's, that's, a, that's a big one. I've, I've certainly seen that. Um, anything else you want to touch on today? It's been awesome. 
Yeah. Anything yeah, else you want to touch fun. on today? Um, just the, just what I said. I, I can't I can't say it enough for parents is like embrace this. If you're a DIYer, embrace it. Like make it something that you learn about. Um, if you don't want to deal with it, then find somebody who can help you and can support you through this. It, it, just from a financial standpoint, it's it's a game changer to do this. Um, and like I said at the beginning, you know, it's 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 important the personal, academic, and financial fit. Really looking at all three at the same time. And if you do have a financial planner like yourself, this is part of your plan. So do this, and then go to that professional if they don't do it, and say, "Look, this is what I learned." Right? Because as you you know, you're in this industry. I mean, a lot of advisors will say, okay, let's just save for state school and we'll figure it out or save for Harvard. Well, neither one of those are really the best strategy, right? And and in their defense, they just don't know, right? It's not, it's not their sweet spot. And in the financial industry, it's not on the series seven. It's not on the CFP, I don't think. Um, So maybe that's where we'll go as an industry in 10 years. I don't know. But at this point, it's not. So they they can't advise on that because it's not something they know about, right? right? So and then the counselor juxtaposed to that can't really advise on the finances, but maybe can help with some scholarship related pieces, right? It, it, it seems to be uh, there's not as much crossover there as you might hope, uh, unless you're maybe working with someone who who specializes in it, right? Yeah, and that's what we're really trying. Part of what we do at College Aid Pro, we're trying to educate schools, the districts, because that's where we really get momentum. And if they all start having the financial aid nights that are really meaningful, um, then the parents become informed, they become informed. That really changes. That changes the pricing of college, but that's, that's the big game. That in my mind, that's really where we go because then you can reach hundreds of thousands of parents. And I've seen it. I've seen the stress just fall off parents when, they, when they're informed, right? Yeah. They just look at me and say, this is exactly what I needed to understand. I'm not loving my situation, but they know it, right? And that's that. It, then they can make decisions accordingly. There is comfort in understanding. Yeah. I mean, as we, as we, you know, we have this concept of college pre-approval at, at College Aid Pro. And I tell parents, it's just like when you look for a house, the realtor says, go to the bank and get approved. You need to do that for college. And they kind of look and say, you're right. We've never thought about what we can afford. You know, some people have saved tremendously in five two nines, but as you know, it's not the lion's share, right? Seeing somebody with a 200,529, that's not the norm. The right? line I always say is, I've never seen someone oversave with a 529 <laughs> in my career, at least. Yeah. I haven't seen yeah. that. Yeah. And you can you can save a lot in a 529, but most parents, and again, not slamming parents. It's really difficult. It's you know, you're focusing cost. on retirement, you're trying to focus on that. What's the balance? You know, it, th- there's some tough decisions there. How do you do it? So, yeah. yeah. I think that's a great response. Um, you know, again, just not falling prey to assuming, you know, the easy, which is, well, there's just not really much I can do. So I'll focus my, you know, intellectual feel somewhere else. Uh, not falling prey to that and, you know, being willing to kind of dig a little bit deeper into this because it is a huge decision, not just financially, but personally as well. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Peg, thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. Appreciate you coming on.